Uh, it's my great delight to introduce James to you this morning. James Waddell is head of partners, uh, sorry, partnerships, um, church partnerships with Compassion. We have a strong link with Compassion that has been there over a number of years and are delighted um, to have a bit of an update from Compassion, mm -hmm. but also an opportunity for wider people to hear about that. So, James, over to you, and Thank you. you're happy to do the reading as well. Yes, of course I am, as long as I get an extra two minutes. <laughs> um. <laughs> do that. Yeah. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my apologies for the reading. I actually changed it on Friday afternoon and uh, sent it through. So, Linda, my apologies for that. Um, let's, let's turn to the reading of God's Word, and then we'll move into what God has to say to us. It's actually uh, from Matthew. And it's a well-known passage, Matthew chapter 25, and verses 31 to 46. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples here, and he's talking about the sheep and the goats. So that's Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry. And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison? When did we not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is as relevant today as the day it was written. It speaks to our hearts, and by your spirit, it enables us to grow more Christ-like each day as we take on board the truths that you have for us. Just pray, Lord, this morning that you will bless your word to us and bless what we share together over these next minutes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I, 
think I should have been here about 14 hours ago. Apparently, you had um, a burn supper, and I missed it. I could have been in my kilt. I've got a kilt. I've got all the regalia. I could have done the address to the haggis with the authentic accent. <laughs> it would have been, well, but it's still a delight to be here this morning. Um, I am aware, however, that... Um, You've been given some news, which for many of you probably you weren't expecting, about John and Sarah. And uh, I just want to encourage you. My home church is St. Aldate's in Oxford, and we are in the process of going through exactly the same thing. Uh, Charlie and Anita Cleverly, who have been with us for 18 years, just announced uh, a month ago that they are going to move on to other things. And, um, and of course, it takes you a bit by, oof. Takes you a bit by surprise. We love the familiar. We love the folks that we love and, and we get comfortable. And that's a great place to be. But you know, God has never been a God of the comfortable. He is a God of the shaking and the moving and the doing and the bringing new things that are going to enrich your lives and others. So I want to encourage you this morning that whilst there will be some sadness, to embrace it. Because God has plans for each and every one of us, plans for your fellowship, plans for the good of your community here, and for your lives and your family's lives. It's an exciting time, because God's kingdom is always on the move. And this morning, I, oh, I better take out my phone, not because I'm waiting on a phone call, um, but I've set the stopwatch and uh, noticed I started about five minutes after I should, but that's not unusual. Um, it is a delight to be here this morning. And I'm here representing Compassion. And uh, for those who don't know about Compassion, the other thing that we need to do now, we're going to have a presentation. By the way, I am to technology what... Um, Donald Trump is to diplomacy and public relations. <laughs> so you're just going to have to bear with me here. I think um, I've turned this beast on, and I'm not quite sure. I need some help here about putting it on. We're getting there. Doing a great job at the back. This is the first week that uh, Russia has been working on the sound. So well done. Let's see if I can keep up with you. Right. So I'm here this morning from Compassion, first and foremost, to say thank you. Uh, a few years ago, one of my colleagues came here and introduced compassion to the fellowship, and you have embraced compassion. And we'll talk about what that, might, what that looks like now and what it can look like going forward from here. Now, please work. Oh, yes. Thank you, Lord. There are 25 children being sponsored by folks who fellowship here at Christ Church. 25 children, that's a primary school class of children whose lives are being transformed. What does that mean, James, lives being transformed? Well, I say I represent Compassion with a Big C, an organization which uh, is an international organization, and we are the unashamedly Christian child development organization. I say unashamedly Christian. Our strap line, for want of a better expression, is releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. We do what we do because He loves us and we love Him. And you have embraced what we do because you love Him and He loves you. 
And we want to thank you for that this morning. What does that look like, though, to see children sponsored? Well, it is um, as holistic a program as it can be in that it is three, four main legs. One is education. You cannot take people out of the most extreme poverty in the world without educating the children. It is crucial. Secondly, it is about health care, both health education, but also health intervention wherever necessary. Thirdly, it is a financial um, uh, impact on their lives, including making those children who are this age now to become fully independent, not only for themselves, but for the family and the communities in which they're in. And fourthly, there is a spiritual and social development element to it. So that is what Compassion does. We work in 25 different countries. Um, and our model, our main model, is a one-to-one -one sponsorship. So there are 25 children being sponsored. Someone has, from this fellowship is standing alongside a child that they may never have met and may never meet this side of heaven and making a difference in their lives. They are in two countries, in Rwanda and in Sri Lanka. We'll talk about Sri Lanka a little bit more uh, in a moment. And um, there are 24 children because when my colleague Claire came uh, some years ago, it was decided that you would get alongside children specifically in Sri Lanka. I don't know who the one from Rwanda is. Is the one from Rwanda here, the sponsor here? Maybe, maybe not. But that one is as important as the 24. Not to neglect the one. Jesus came for the one, the 99 and the one. So important. The next one. Because sometimes when we look at poverty and we look at extreme poverty and there are, I can bombard you with numbers here, but there are 400 million children living in extreme poverty today. That's living on less than $1.90 a day. That's too big for me. That's huge. That's enormous. I can't get my head around the 400 million. And God knows that. But God hasn't called me to look after the 400 million. He's called me to look after the one the one that I'm sitting next to, the one in my community, the one in my neighborhood, the one in Rwanda. However, the 24 in Sri Lanka, just to give you a little bit of an update about the project itself, it's in the uh, east of Sri Lanka. It's as far east of uh, Colombo, the capital, as you can get. It's on the coast. It's a small town of about 8,000 people, and it's primarily a fishing community. It's seven hours by bus from Colombo, if you've ever done it. Um, 8,000 people, they are living, the average, uh, the average daily income, sorry, I put monthly there, but the average daily income in Sri Lanka in this particular community is $1.40 a day. That's just over a pound a day. What can you get for a pound nowadays? I remember when I was a kid, I got an old sixpence for my pocket money. Now, you, most of you won't remember old sixpence. It was pre-decimalization. And I was able to spend threepence of that money, and the other threepence had to go in the bank. Um, thrifty wee Scots, you know, we're, we're good at that. But anyway, this thruppence, and I used to go to the sweet shop, and there was an array of trays of things that I could choose. My eyes were enormous. Every Friday, 
half past four, or sorry, five o'clock, my dad would come home from work, we'd get a pocket money, we'd go to the shop, and there was so much you could get for thruppence. What can you get for a pound nowadays? You can't even get a cup of coffee. Three times as much to get a cup of coffee. It's nothing, and yet there are people, 8,000 of them in the community that you are helping to support that are living on that a day for a family. That's hard to get our head around. But that's their community. The main religion is Hindu. Uh, and many of the children that are registered into the program are not from Christian backgrounds. One of the things about compassion, which we are very passionate about, is that our main role is to ensure, yes, we want to see children released from poverty in Jesus' name. But that's not just Christian children. Because every child is a child that God loves. And so is the poorest of the poor. Whoever the poorest of the poor are in any community where we work, those are the children we seek to minister to and their extended families. And so many of the children in the project that you support, possibly some of the 24 children that are being directly supported from here, they may well be from a Hindu family, a Hindu background. They will be having a Christian influence in their lives. And we can only pray and trust God that he will do what he will do. But our role is to reach out to those children. The main challenges in that area is unemployment, um, access to education and healthcare. The nearest facility is 14 kilometers away, and that's not particularly um, like a major hospital that you would see here. So they have a lot of challenges. There are The church that supports the project has 70 people in it. Can you imagine, you're a church of 70, I was talking to Steve Eller, children's worker, 300 children in the Sunday school, Steve, every Saturday from, from 10 o'clock in the morning to 4 o'clock in the afternoon, 300 children arrive at this church. There are 70 adults and they are ne needing looked after. What a commitment. They are really determined to see God's kingdom come in their community. There are also 25 children that go to the church. 25 out of 300, it does suggest that most are from a Hindu background. And we say we pray what God will do what he will do in that area. Specifically about your children, 90 letters were sent from the children to you in this last 12 months, to you that are sponsoring the 24. I'm sorry to say 44 were sent the other way. Now, that is not unusual, and I'm not here to make anybody feel guilty because writing letters is not our favorite thing. We don't like doing it. I don't like doing it. I sponsor some children, and letter writing is not my thing. However, I've got good news for you. You can do it online. You can even do it on your phone. Who's got a smartphone? Go on. Many. If you're a sponsor, you can get online, you can get an app, you can write on your phone on your commute to work. Two minutes, done. The children will then, they don't have a smartphone, by the way, they're not receiving it by a smartphone. Goes to Compassion, it's translated, we send them a letter. There are many ways I would encourage you to write. Writing makes an amazing difference. When I was in Ethiopia recently, I met a young man called Samuel. And Samuel was 27 years of age, and he was a former compassion child. And he was meeting a group of church leaders, and he was coming along to tell his story. 
And uh, we got chatting at the end of all of this. And I said, so Samuel, what did it mean to, to sort of have a sponsor? He says, the sponsor was everything for me. Yes, it has transformed my life because of what they did financially. But I have to tell you, James, the letter writing transformed my life because of what it did to me as a person. I felt loved and valued from someone that, that I hadn't even met before. The circumstance was, his parents had died. He was living with an aunt and an uncle. He was, another, he was an additional mouth to feed amongst eight. So yes, he was welcomed. But he's honest, he wasn't truly loved. He was given a bed in a corner and he was given something to eat. And that was pretty much it. Life was still very tough. And then he got a sponsor. And the sponsor used to write to him saying, come on, Samuel, I hope you're doing really well at school because that's your passport to a different life. He says, there was days when I didn't want to go to school. There was days I just wanted to run away. But those letters were pouring in affirmation, confirmation of what God was doing in my life. So I went to school. I went to university. He's now working as a lawyer for the Ethiopian government in Addis Ababa. He's got two kids of his own and he sponsors another. The ripple effect of what God does when someone stands alongside someone else and writing letters, this is to encourage you not to make you feel guilty, writing letters has such an impact on your sponsored child. A lot of numbers here, but basically this says every child is known, loved, and cared for. Hours upon hours are invested in these children and in their families so that God can do the best that he can for them, with them, and see their lives transformed. That's another big number. Almost 11,000 pounds of giving from you as a fellowship, those 25 individuals as a fellowship, 11,000 pounds just in the last year that is radically transforming the lives of these children and their families. There they are, a rogues gallery of 25. If your child is up there, say hello. I can assure you they do smile. Um, it's always the same. It's a bit of a rogues gallery. Can you imagine, though, if you're, you're sort of just standing there and a the stranger turns up and they've got a camera and there's two or three of them, and, uh, but they do smile. Hopefully you've got photographs on your fridge or by your study or whatever it is nowadays, and you've got this big, smiling, beaming face that says, thank you. So that's what you are doing. And I don't know, it's not very British, but I'm going to ask you to give yourself a clap and the Lord a clap, because that is amazing. <laughs> My time is fast going away, so I'm going to, I hope you can stick with this accent, because the faster I go, the more Glaswegian I become. Um, so I, but I do want to bring something from the passage that, that, that I read to you. You know, these are 25 different children, 25 different lives, 25 different stories. And God is interested in every single one of them. My story, yes, Glaswegian. I, I was born and brought up and educated in a place called the Gorbals. I don't know if you've heard of the Gorbals. Some people have heard of it for all of the wrong reasons, I have to tell you. Um, but I was, that was my upbringing, a family of six of us, my mom and dad, four children, three sisters. That was four mums, basically. So, and we were in, so we had one bedroom, 
we, 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 we grew up in a Glasgow tenement. There was two rooms. There was a bedroom for the four children. Um, no central heating, uh, no double glazing, no fire, just some beds. That was pretty much it. Then the other room was my mom and dad's bedroom, the living room, the kitchen, the guest room, the everything else room. Two rooms, 10 by 12. That was it. And the smallest room in the house was actually not in the house. That was in a landing, shared by three other families. That's, that was life for me. Why did I tell you that story? Well, we would call that poverty today. But to us, everybody was growing up the same. We didn't think that that was poverty. That was just life. And thankfully for us, thank God for this, my parents, loving parents who were going to do absolutely everything they could to ensure that their children had a better life than they did, which is the aspiration that we all have as parents and, 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 and of children. But I fast forward that story to now, and actually to just a couple of years ago, I was in Mumbai, in India, at a conference, I was working for a Western multinational, and, and as you know, you go to conferences like that, you're in a five-star hotel, you're, you're sealed, hermetically sealed from everything that's going on around you outside. But one day in this conference, I was about to go into another room with 200 people, with no windows for eight hours. And I thought, I just need to see a bit of daylight before I go in there. And I walked out of the hotel in Mumbai, and I just looked across the road from here to the back wall there, and I saw hundreds of people living in abject, desperate poverty. They were living in the street. Children, mums and dads, teenagers, grandparents, Whatever we would do in the privacy of our own home, they were doing on the street. That was life for them. And God said to me, what are you going to do about that? Which is a very unfair question, I think, because there are hundreds of people there. And I'm thinking, well, what do you want me to do about that? Well, fast forward and here I am. Now, God has a plan. I said earlier, God has a plan and purpose for all our lives. Now, it might not be as dramatic as that, but... God has a plan and a purpose for your life in order that we make a difference. The passage that we read in Matthew 25 could be encapsulated and say, God wants you to make a difference. It's not about being comfortable or accumulating bigger barns, as another parable will tell us. God has a plan and a purpose for your life and primarily, it's to worship him with all of our heart and soul and strength and mind. And in the passage that we, Linda may have read in Luke chapter 10, is to love our neighbor as ourselves. It is to make a difference. We are here to make a difference. We talk a lot today about leaving a legacy. God wants you to make an imprint to have a lasting impression, to leave a legacy in the families and communities in which you live, and possibly even further afield. So we see here, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's only days away from the Garden of Gethsemane at this point. So he's at a point where he realizes he doesn't have much time left so what message do I want to give these disciples of mine that I want them to take into life after I have gone? And one of the things he talks about is 
making a difference, reaching out and feeding those who are hungry and giving water to those who are thirsty. Being a, inviting the stranger in, clothing those that need clothing, visiting the sick or those who are in prison. God's message and Jesus' message at that point is he's saying to us, have compassion on those around you and get involved in their lives. Now that is messy. It is messy to get involved in people's lives. But God has given us such blessings and such riches, and I'm not talking financially here, that he's saying, I want you to share what I have given you because actually that is my commandment to you. Why does God use us? Why does God choose to use you and to choose me? Why is that part of his plan and purpose for our lives? Well, he has blessed us beyond measure. And I don't know many people here, I don't know your individual lives, but I'm sure your story has known great joys, possibly some tragedies. A lot of it might be mundane, it's doing the washing and the ironing and going to work and all that, but life is punctuated by other greater moments. But God has blessed us. And he wants us to bless others because actually, you know something? It feels good to do good. And God knows that. God has put it in our hearts that he knows that we will be even more blessed as we bless. And it feels good to do good. The world has caught on to this. They call it acts of random, or random acts of kindness. Go and do something good today. You'll feel good. Well, the Scripture's been telling us that for 2,000 years. It feels good to do good, and God knows that, and He's placed it in our hearts so that we might reach out and do good to others, and the byproduct is we feel great. Can you remember a time when you just did something spontaneously to help someone else for no favor to yourself, for no thank you, for nothing other than this is the right thing to do. I'm going to do that. You felt good, didn't you? I've done that occasionally. And you do feel good. And there's nothing wrong in that. That's what God has placed in our hearts because he wants us, brings us closer to him. This passage that we read in Matthew, those who do those things they're his children, they're close to his heart, they understand his heart. And God, as we reach out to benefit others, to bless others here in Surbiton and beyond, God knows that that is, that is bringing us closer to him. Now, let me be clear, it is not bringing us salvation. The scripture is very clear about this. There is only one way to know Christ to know God, and that is to take Jesus Christ as our Savior, to recognize what he did in the cross and by his resurrection. That brings, by his Holy Spirit, salvation to our lives. But James says, you're saved, that's great, then I will show you my faith by my works. Works don't save us, but they're the evidence that God has done and is doing something in us. 
whatever you did for the least of these in Surbiton, in your road, in your church, in Sri Lanka, in Rwanda, wherever it is, as God is using you to reach out and make a difference in other people's lives, then you bless him and he in turn blesses you. There's a short video that I would like to show now. It's just three minutes long. And it's actually a video of four young people whose lives have been transformed by other compassion sponsors. And this is where I hope the technology works. Thank you. Just four stories in the last five minutes that I have, just four stories of lives transformed. And there are hundreds of thousands of others where lives are being transformed because folks like yourselves have said, I'm going to get alongside someone. I'm going to make a difference. You know, the word compassion in the, in the NIV, in, in Luke chapter 10, when it's the, the Good Samaritan, it talks about having pity on him. But actually, as Keith was saying earlier on, it's more than pity. You know, pity is the sort of thing that, that I do, and possibly you've done it as well. When you're watching the news and you see a child lying on a beach drowned, a migrant child trying to flee war or whatever, and we have pity for that moment, as we should, but then maybe we feel a little bit powerless and life moves on and we move on. But actually, compassion as a word is something much, much deeper. Archbishop Desmond Tutu, he says that compassion, and I'm paraphrasing here, it's not just pity and feeling sorry for. But compassion, the root word of compassion, means to get involved. It is a call to action. It is saying, I am going to do something about this. And that's what God has in mind when he talks about compassion with a small c in the scripture. And wherever we are placed and whatever God has called us to do, he has called us to be the compassionate people. We are the salt and light in the earth. We are compassion to the world. And that means we have to get involved. We have to take action. We have, to, we have to allow God to do something in us and through us and for others. I have some children with me. You may wonder where they are. I have them here. These are profiles of children. This is Rethushan. Rethushan is also from Sri Lanka, from that same community. He is Six years of age, he lives with his mum. We don't know where his dad is. He lives with his mum in this fishing community uh, in uh, Sri Lanka. And he's part of a compassion project, but he doesn't have a sponsor yet. He doesn't have someone to write those letters, to get alongside him, to, to speak words of affirmation and God's blessing upon his life. And I'm here this morning to ask you to consider, is this something that I could be involved in? Is this something God is calling me to be compassionate about? Now, I, I understand that, that as a church, you are already have great partnerships with like a tier fund and, and the, the Bible college, Johannesburg was mentioned. I know there's some folks in Senegal and there are other things that you do. Hope for good with Krish, fantastic. 
Folks, it's, it's not about one organization. It is about kingdom. And if you are investing in those things, then thank you for that. If you're investing already in compassion, thank you for that. But maybe God is speaking to you about investing again or in some other way. Investing in the life of a child. It costs less than a pound a day to see a life transformed through compassion, through the local church in Sri Lanka. I've been given permission to do this, uh, so I am going to do it. But just uh, in the last minutes before uh, the service comes to an end, I have a number of these profiles here. And uh, what I would like to do is for those who are interested, it's not an obligation. We're not going to send the boys around because I happened to put one of these into your hands. But if something that we've said this morning resonates with you, I'm interested in this, I would like to know more, I would like to see one of these profiles then I'm going to ask uh, a very un-British thing. I'd like you to put your hand up, and I will pass one of these to you, just so that you can read it between now and the service ending. In, and then come and see me. I'm at the back by the big uh, banner there, and uh, I'll hopefully have a cup of tea. Uh, milk, no sugar. That would be great. Thank you very much. And um, I'll be there at the back, ready to answer questions, uh, to maybe help you fill this in, or if you say, actually, not at the moment, then just hand it back to me. But if you do put your hand up and take one of these, please don't go away with it, because actually then that child won't get sponsored for about a month at that point. So I'm going to ask for a little bit of help. Uh, Steve's sitting there, and he's a children's worker, so he can come and help these children. So Steve, can you take some of these, and I'll take some, and I'm just going to pray at this point, as we come to a close. Lord, thank you for what you do. Lord, we know that for every time we take a breath, a child under five will die from something that is preventable. Every time we take a breath. And Lord, you have given us the commission and the privilege, but also the responsibility of doing something about that for the one, for the other one, for an additional one. And so, Lord, I just pray for these children that as they are presented, that you will be speaking to hearts, to families, and if you are speaking to them, Lord, that they will, by faith, reach out to minister to them and to bless you. Uh, we ask this for your name's sake. Amen. So, if you would like to just have a look at one of these, as I say, with no obligation, then would you just put your hand up, please? And we'll, yep, okay. So, if you'd all look there, and I'll, thank you very much. Bless you for that. And, uh, oh, great. Thank you. There's some here. This is why I have a head mic, um, because I'm able to do this at the same time. Um, so, just as I'm, I'm doing this, I want to thank you for, um, I think, if you'll come around and, and do the last of those. Um, that was a little bit clumsy. I'm sorry about that. But I do appreciate you. I've got the one here, which is the little ad that I spoke about earlier, Refushan. So if you would still like to consider this, I'll have him at, at the back there um, at the end of the service. So thank you. Bless you. God is good. 
all the time. And he's given us good works in advance for us to do and to walk into because he wants to bless us as we bless him. And in this new season, I pray that you'll bless the fellowship, Lord, as you move into what God has coming for you next. Amen. Shall we stand together?